0: welcome back. Uh, It's certainly exciting for me anyway to be back here again. Uh, It was, uh, I don't know, hopefully you had uh, whatever you needed from your summer vacation, whether it was relaxing or productive. Mine was more in the productive element, uh, just moved to a new place, which is uh, always exciting and a lot of work, but uh, I'm glad to be back here with you guys today. Now typically we do go through a series, uh, we're usually going through different series at different times, and most of the time those series are kind of geared for one book that we're kind of going through. And uh, just so you know, or you can kind of be getting excited about, maybe even reading ahead and getting prepared, uh, in two weeks, in the first week of October, we'll be starting Daniel, the book of Daniel, which is an incredibly interesting and fascinating and challenging book. Uh, when we look at Daniel and his character and try to apply uh, what he, the way he lives to our own lives. So we'll be starting that in a few weeks. So the next couple weeks we have this kind of special thing. This, uh, you have the special privilege, if you will, of hearing some standalone sermons this week and next week, meaning not connected with a series of any kind. And today's message may be just kind of the standalone sermon, our first message back. Uh, but I believe God wants us, To really hear this message well and to take what he has for us to heart. My hope for all of us here today through the message that we're going to be looking at today would be that through it we would have this kind of renewed excitement, an ignited, a reignited passion, and a determination for church community to know why we're here, why we're doing what we're doing, what we're called to do, and the purpose in that, and the yeah, the, the meaning behind it all and why it's so important to understand those things. And so at the very least, my hope is that you would just have this new hunger to seek God and what God is calling you to do and how to be knowing with a confidence what that is in your life. Because I believe God has planted this service and I, I want to kind of apply some of this, what we see in Nehemiah. To this particular service here in Calvary Chapel, because I believe God's planted this service here for a reason, and I believe God has blessed us, blessed this service in the past few years. We're coming up on five years now since we started church at five, and He's He's planted it. He's done it. He's done a per, a, a good work in it so far. I've seen a lot of growth. I've seen. I've heard stories of how God has worked in individuals' lives, changing hearts. And I believe that the work that he's called us to do as a service, at least for my part anyway, is not finished yet. So we want to be continuing that. And so I've chosen this passage here in Nehemiah because I believe it paints a vivid portrait of the importance of knowing what we're doing, of knowing what we're doing with a confidence, being sure of what we're doing. Do you know what you're doing here? Why you came to church today? Why, especially those of us who serve in church, why are you serving here? Why are we, why are we broadcasting this on YouTube? Why are you watching it on YouTube? What, what's the purpose in all of this? And we want to kind of keep a, a little bit of a scope here. You see, there's, there's a purpose we are hoping, hopefully, all to accomplish as Christians. Whether it's our individual Christianity or as the global church. Or the local church here in in Calvary Chapel, here in Freiburg. Or even right here in this service. We have specific goals. We have specific purposes that we're trying to accomplish. But when we don't know with any certainty what we're doing or why we're doing it. If we're just kind of going through the motions and we just kind of get caught up in doing things because that's what we do. We don't understand what we're doing or why we're doing it. And most importantly, who we're doing it for. We can be easily stopped from moving forward. We can be distracted or we can be misguided or taken off the course that we're meant to be on and then we are unable to continue any great work for God on either a personal level, a local church level, or even a global scale. How can we continue a great work for God when we don't even know what that is? So today I want to look At this excerpt from the story of Nehemiah, from the book of Nehemiah, and his story and, and how it shows us and what we can kind of learn from him and how he stays so focused to finish the work that he began, to finish the work that God calls him to do, despite all attempts to thwart that work along the way. Through all kinds of oppositions and distractions and misdirections, He continues on the path. He doesn't sway from one to one side or the other. Now Nehemiah's story—we don't have time to read the whole book. Uh, It was a lot of text as it is. But Nehemiah's story begins with a man who has this burden pressed firmly on his heart. We kind of were introduced right from the beginning. If you start at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, Uh, he heard. He kind of asked, "Hey, how's things going in Jerusalem?" Because he's not in Jerusalem at the time, and he asked, "How are things going there?" and he hears a report of what's happening and how the city that represents God's chosen people something that was that meant something to him that he saw a value in was in complete ruin it was unguarded unprotected vulnerable to attack the walls were rubble and he's so burdened by hearing when he hears this truth that he's moved to weeping and fasting and he spends days in prayer over the city of Jerusalem and its people That God would see them and and make a way for this to be remedied. He's moved. He's burdened in his heart for it. And Nehemiah is an Israelite. uh, But as I said, he's living in exile. uh, Which is a remnant of when the Babylonians had come uh, quite a few years before. And taken many of the Israelites captive. We'll be kind of looking at that a bit with Daniel. He was also one who was taken all the way back when the Babylonians were in charge. Now he's, uh, it's the Persians, and he's in Susa working as a cupbearer for the Persian king. So he's kind of pretty high up, uh, Nehemiah. And it seems as though on hearing this, even though he's burdened, even though he feels this great weight in his heart, there's nothing really he can do, right? He's, he's, way, he's far away. He's doing a completely different thing. What can he really do? And so he's really moved. He's grieved. It seems all he can do is to just simply pray for God to do a work, for God to do something, for God to create some kind of way for this to be remedied for the people and for the city of Jerusalem. But God sees his heart, and he creates an opportunity for him to make that difference, to follow the burden that that he has pressed so firmly on his heart for his people and for this city. And so one day when he's going before the king, the king notices how sad he is, and that was pretty dangerous. So obviously, it wouldn't have been a normal thing uh, for him to be sad, because so, the king notices, first of all. And second of all, it was probably dangerous, typically, you know, as uh, working for the king, who ruled such a, a massive empire, you couldn't be like, yeah, here's your cup, man. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't be in the king's like that. presence like that. You had to kind of have some sort of pleasant demeanor. And yet he was so burdened, so overwhelmed that he couldn't contain himself, and it was obvious. But on this particular day, the king is also moved in seeing Nehemiah and this, in his kind of state of distress that he's obviously in. And so the king asks him, What's wrong? What's going on, man? You're always normally in such a good mood. What happened? And Nehemiah tells him kind of the whole story about how he's heard of the state of Jerusalem and the state of the walls and how burdened he is and how upset he is about it. And the king is also moved when he hears it. He's moved so much, and we can, I think, obviously say that God's providence is at work here behind the scenes in creating an opportunity for him. And he's so moved when hearing about uh, what's Nehemiah tells him that he sends Nehemiah out, giving him everything he needs, giving him everything he needs. He's financially now backed. He's got access to all the material that he'll need to rebuild the wall. He's got all the paperwork in order to have the, the right to do it. What a triumphant story. What an awesome story that would be right there just in itself. To have this kind of burden laid on your heart. Maybe you've experienced something like that where you, you maybe you see something, you hear about, it, and you read a story, and you think, man, I just I want to help them, I want to help fix this problem. I, I think there's something that I could do. And then to have a door swing wide open and have everything you need, all the access, all the people, all the resources to make it happen at your fingertips almost instantly. What an awesome story. He immediately has this door swing open wide open. God has made a way. God has put this burden on his heart. I think that we can clearly say that was God that did that. God has now made a way for him, giving him access to everything he'll need to accomplish the goal, to see this burden that's been laid on his heart completely fulfilled, finished, and here I want to switch gears. As I said, I want to talk a little bit about Church at Five as we come every time, every year around our anniversary. I like to kind of just reemphasize who we are, what we're doing, why we're doing an English service in Germany. It seems a bit crazy. Uh, and so just to kind of, we won't get into the whole story, but to give you the shorter version, because some of you don't know me hardly at all. I've been living here uh, in Germany in this area for about 10 years now. I'll actually be coming up on my 10-year anniversary in October as we have our five-year anniversary as Church at Five. And uh, I'm not originally from Germany, from Texas originally. If you couldn't tell that I'm not German. And this idea of an English service has been something that was burdened on my heart for many, many years before we started. Uh, it was almost immediately after I came here to Germany that I really felt this this burden. I'd, I'd Simply walking around the city... Um, you hear so much English being spoken amongst people. And I thought, man, there's just there's something here. There seems to be such a large percentage. I, I began to feel that there's a, a real need and, and certainly a potential to try and reach parts of this city that a German service are just never really going to be able to reach and maybe never be able to fulfill in the same way because we have so many people here for a short amount of time that don't, maybe don't even have time to learn the language. And so I want to it just... Again, I don't, it wasn't uh, something that I just went out, set out to do. It's just something that really, I feel God burned on my heart. And the door did not swing wide open for me so uh, instantaneously as it did for Nehemiah. Uh, It was quite a few years, and I just, uh, I spent a lot of time praying about this for several years before God opened any kind of opportunity, before I even was a part of this church, and but eventually we got to that point, again, I'm giving you the short version, where God did create this opportunity for me to be able to, to, to for us as, as Calvary Chapel, to start this English service. And I, I just want to say that to kind of give you a little bit of a backstory in the sense that maybe you think, okay, well, okay, Calvary Chapel, they've got an American, one of the elders is American, one of the elders is Australian. They probably had nothing to do on a Sunday night, so they just thought, hey, we'll just fill the time with an English service. And it's not like that at all. It was, it was a lot of things that went in behind it for years even. It's not something that we're just doing because we have nothing better to do. I believe in this service. I believe in what we're doing here. I believe in what God wants to build through this service by reaching into each and every one of your lives. That's my ultimate goal, to reach into your lives, into your hearts, to build you up, to give you the tools that you need To bring you to where you're going to go next. The one thing we can say about this service that I've seen in the five years so far. Is that there is a lot of people who come in and out for different seasons of time. And I want to build you up and give you what you need as God brings you into what's next. And just like Nehemiah, I feel incredibly blessed right, that this door was open. And that we're here today. We're gathered here Doing this service, something that I couldn't have even foreseen uh, seven, eight years ago when it was first put on my heart—at least not the way that God ended up opening those doors for it to happen. But I feel I feel blessed by that. God certainly provided the, the place. He provided a church that we can—that uh, we, as the elders, are excited about what God's doing here. It provided a lot of people. I know Yanis has been here since before the first service. <laughs> I know for sure, and yeah, God gave us everything we needed for this to happen. But Nehemiah also faced some incredible opposition. Actually, he, to a, an extreme, we don't have time again to go through the story, but there's, part the, uh, there's certain sections of time as they were building the wall that the builders had had their, their weapons on their side ready to, to defend themselves if they needed to. I feel thankful that I never had to have a weapon on my side. Coming from Texas, it might have... Been a little bit too cliche. But uh, when it comes to opposition, there was certainly some opposition along the way, but nothing like that. But as we get back to our text and we read through kind of where we're at in this point in the story, what we're coming to is Nehemiah has now endured many different types of opposition, some of them violent. But now he's almost done. He's almost to the end. He's close to finishing the work God has called him to do. But his enemy has not given up. His enemy has not given up. And here, as he's so close to the end, they'll use three different methods in an attempt to distract, to stop, or at the very least, slow down the work that Nehemiah is seeking to accomplish for God. And I believe that is always true of every church, of every service. The enemy is always trying to fight against what God's trying to build up. We never want to get to a point where we're just comfortable and we think, all right, walls are built, we're we're good now, nothing bad's going to happen. We've accomplished the work. In this lifetime, we're always at that state of being close to the finish, and the enemy's always going to be trying to get that to stop. As we look through these different attempts that we see here in the text... And the method they use to distract Nehemiah from doing the work God has called him to do, I think we can, we'll easily see some application for ourselves in our lives. Not, first of all, personally, I think we'll see some application for us as individuals in our Christian walk, but also congregationally, as this church, as this service, and what God has called us to do. God has a calling on each and every one of our lives. A purpose we are designed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill. And yet, we have an enemy. Not one of flesh and blood, but a spiritual enemy, the devil. Who will, by any means necessary, seek to stop us from fulfilling that purpose. Or to bring us off track, or to mess us up, or to slow us down so much that we never get to where we could have been. So here are the oppositions, the attempts to distract the work of the Lord. The first method that he, they use is just simple, gentle persuasion. Simple, gentle persuasion. And this can be applied to so many different ways uh, or distractions in our life. In verse 2, he says, they just say, come, let us meet together in one of the villages. It's really, it's really low-key. It feels like, hey, you know, we know, what, I mean, there's a lot of pasture here. We know what everything happened in the past. Let's just get together. Let's just talk about it. It sounds harmless. It seems harmless enough. It seems like it's just a simple meeting. And we can say, what's wrong with Nehemiah? Why won't he just take this meeting with someone? Why won't he just take a few minutes to do this or take a few minutes to do that? Because he's a man who knows what he's called to do. Because he's a man who knows what he's called to do. He knows the purpose that's been put before him. And he will see it to its completion. He knows what his purpose is. And anything that would seek to distract from that is not worth his time. And is not from God. Moreover, he knew his enemy. And he knew their tactics. So he could see right through their attempts to prevent the work from being finished. He could see right away. Listen to his response. Verse two continued, "But they were scheming to harm me. He knows. So I sent messengers in verse three, so I sent messengers to them with this reply: "I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. I'm doing a great work," some translations say. "Why should the work stop? while I have it while I leave it and go down to you." Why should the work stop? I have something to do here. I'm busy. God's God's kind of called me to do this thing over here. Why should I stop that work? In verse 4, it says, Four times they sent me the same message. Four times. And each time I gave them the same answer. When I first read this, this is actually, this text right here is where this whole sermon idea came from. (laughs) It was just in my daily reading. And I was like, wow, what a powerful thing. He's so focused He's like, no, I'm not going to be distracted. Why should I stop what I'm doing when I'm doing something that God's called me to do, that God's put on my heart to do, that I know I'm supposed to finish? I have experienced in my life that distraction usually never comes just once. It never comes alone. It never comes in just one way. It comes in many forms and with many attempts to bring us away from what we're called to do. In so many ways, in so many forms, and it's, con- it's consistent. It comes again and again and again and again, sometimes a hundred times a day. Anyone who's ever tried to sit down and do anything, I sat down to try to write the sermon yesterday, and it was like, oh, but I should, I'm, I should finish packing those boxes first. and Oh, I should do this first. Oh, I should do this first. And suddenly I'm like, whoa, I've just spent like three hours doing not anything that I was supposed to be doing. And I've been guilty more times than I'd like to admit of falling into the temptation of just simple distraction, the kinds of distractions that, that don't maybe seem harmful. They seem harmless. They don't, and, and they're not necessarily always bad in themselves. It wasn't, it wasn't wrong. It wasn't sinful for him to have a meeting with them. It wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing in itself. But he knew what was really behind it. He knew the motive behind it. And sometimes the devil will use the simplest things, the nicest things, the easiest things, even things that seem good to distract us from what we should be doing. And we know in our heart, well, you know, it's a good thing, or, oh, you know, I deserve this rest, or whatever it might be. But we know in our heart, man, no, I really should be doing this. I really should be maybe spending time in the Word, maybe spending time in prayer, maybe seeking God, maybe working on this thing that I know God's put on my heart to do, whatever it might be for you. When they are distractions that stop me from doing the work God has put on my heart to do, it becomes sin. When I choose that distraction, even though it's not a bad thing in itself, when I know in my heart I should be doing this, it's sin. I'm wasting time that God has graciously given me for a purpose. All of you as Christians today are called to carry on a great project. Don't let anything stop that work. Don't let anything distract you. You think, well, I don't know what I'm. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, we can always go back to the commission Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through twenty. I'm sure you might have heard this before. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely. I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is no greater work than this that we are all called to make disciples of all nations, to preach and teach the truth to everyone we know. That by any means necessary, that by any strength we have in us, by any means necessary, as Paul puts it, some would come to a knowledge of the truth. By any means necessary. This was a a truth that I stood on pretty firmly when I first presented the idea of doing an English service in Germany. By any means necessary, that some would come to a knowledge of the truth. This is certainly true with each and every one of us as believers, that we are called to this commission. But I also believe we have a specific or special calling as a church to the city that we're in. And we, as this service, have a particular mission and calling that God has put on our hearts, on our, as our mission to accomplish a great work that we must continue to completion, or at least until he calls us to do something else. And I want to read to you guys the mission statement for Church at Five that I wrote, I don't know, about a year before we had our first service here that I believe still stands as true today as when I felt it on my heart back then. And so I want to read it to you to kind of just hopefully encourage you about what you're a part of when you're part of the service. So our mission, to strengthen and grow the community of Calvary Chapel Freiburg through reaching out into the, to the internationals of Freiburg and to welcome all who would come. So Germans, you're also welcome. Which is like a lot of you right now. To welcome all who would come. To love, encourage, and build them up through the teaching of God's word and to create a comfortable, welcoming, and safe atmosphere in order to cultivate a community built on glorifying the name of Christ Jesus as Lord. Seeing the lost come to a knowledge of the truth of the gospel and to equip believers in their following of Christ and discovering the call to ministry beset on all believers. That's our mission. Everything we do, everything that we decide... Every kind of, uh, as we move forward and we kind of morph ourselves into who we are becoming as we grow, it's all based on this mission that we are setting, setting out to accomplish, to see completed. This is my mission anyway. This is why I'm here. And this is the, our mission as Church at Five. And I want you to all take that on and to feel it and to sense it that you would feel welcome when you come here. I want you to feel that this is a place that you can grow spiritually, that you can be authentic, that you can be yourself and grow to where God is taking you. And also that you can be growing and connecting to one another as a community. But I would say for me personally, above all, what I want more than anything, as I mentioned earlier, is to equip you. I want to equip you. I want you to come to a knowledge of the truth if you don't know it, if you don't really know the gospel truth, if you don't know that the truth of Jesus Christ and the salvation he brings us. I want you to know that, but I want that truth to become a part of every aspect, every part, everything that you are, everything in your life. Because I know that many of you will not be here for long. Some of you won't be here in a few months. Some of you won't be here in a year. Probably most of you won't be here in in the next five years. And whenever you leave this service, it is my hope and my mission to see you more equipped for ministry and service of God than you were when you first arrived. So that you may be better equipped to be used by God where he plans to send you next. I want you to be more equipped than when you got here. That's my mission. That's my goal. That's why I'm here. That's why I work every week to be prepared to preach the word to you. That's why we do everything we do for this service, that you would be equipped for what God is calling you to do next. Those distractions will come in all different forms. And it's not always going to be the seemingly harmless things. It's not always going to be Netflix and whatever else it might be in your life. The enemy will switch to harsher tactics, especially when we learn how to be more diligent and say, No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste my time doing that. I'm going to spend time in the Word right now. No, I'm not gonna waste my time to do that. I'm gonna spend my some time reading these articles and, and praying for people who are who are suffering in the persecuted church. I'm gonna spend my time doing this rather than this. When we get to that point where we're becoming a little bit more diligent in the way we spend our time, the devil will begin to switch to harsher. Tactics And the second method we see in the text here is fear. They use fear. In verse 6, they say that you, are, you and the Jews are plotting a revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. And then they go on claiming that you're, gonna, you're saying that you're going to be their king. And this report, this is going to go back to the Persian king. And basically, they're saying, we're going to tattle on you and you're going to get in trouble. That's basically the premise of what they're saying there. What you're doing is wrong, and we're going to make sure that you get in as much trouble as we can possibly muster here. But he knew. See, the enemy loves to use fear, because fear is powerful, and it's within. And we don't feel comfortable talking about our fears with other people, and so we feel isolated. We feel alone when we are dealing with fear. The enemy loves to use fear to stop us in our tracks when it comes to what God is calling us to do. To be too afraid to continue working for God. And fear at its root is often about personal preservation, which is why we don't want to tell people about our fears or explain to people the things that we're struggling with when we are in a place of fear. And this can be, this can be fear of, of public opinion, how people would see us as a church, how people would see us as a service. What are we going to look like in the realm of public opinion? And oh, should we be cautious about that? And certainly we want to use wisdom, but we won't, don't want to be driven by fear. And on a personal side, it can be any fear, and I think this goes for, for anything we do in a church, but also on a personal level, it can be any fear that we allow to become more powerful, more potent, have more authority in our lives than our desire to serve the Lord. When the fear has more power than our desire to serve the Lord, something's wrong. And it could be fear of what others think of you on a personal, on a personal level fears based in our uncertainty about what we believe because we're not spending time in the word we're not spending time with with christ we're not spending time in prayer and so we're like i don't know we we struggle with doubt all the time and in these kind of cycles again and again and we're just kind of always dealing with these fears rather than seeking god and finding that confidence in him and it can be fear of failure it can be fear of failure i've struggled with fear of failure man it's just I mean, certainly before we started this service, I was like, I don't know. Is, this, is anybody going to come? Maybe, no, maybe like three people come. That's going to be interesting. You don't know. And those fears, though, can stop us. And we're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll just wait until I know everything's going to be okay. Or I don't want to move forward with this until, you know, you know, more pieces fall into place. And Don't let fear stop you. Listen to Nehemiah's confident response because of what he knows to be true. Listen to his confidence in verse 8. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. He's just like, he just pushes it away. That's not happening. It's just nonsense. You are just making it up out of your head. Because he knows what he knows. (laughs) He's not shaken by their attempts to scare him because he knows what he knows. He has confidence in the Lord, confidence in what he's called to do. In verse 9 it goes on he says they were all trying to frighten us he sees right through them they're just trying to scare us thinking oh their hands will get too weak for the work and it will be and it will not be completed but i prayed now strengthen my hands hmm. he knows what they're trying to do he knows what their ultimate goal is he knows and we When we're looking at these situations, when it comes to fear, we need to know that the enemy's ultimate goal is to stop us from doing what God's calling us to do. That's the goal. And when we understand that, when he knew that that was their ultimate goal was to stop the work, and because he knows this, he can see right through their attempts to frighten him. It, it, it falls apart. It withers. You're, you're, what you're really saying isn't about the situation itself. Your, your motive is over here. You just want me to stop doing what God's calling me to do. And I'm not going to be moved by it. I'm not going to stop what I'm, what I'm the work that I'm, I'm doing until it's done. And he knows what to do. What does he say? He prays. He prays. He says, they want to weaken my hands. I'm going to pray that God strengthens my hands even stronger than they already are. That we would finish the work even faster. Because he knows where his strength comes from. And he knows who has called him. Who has empowered him to do what he's doing. Who was the one who opened the doors? Who was the one who made all this possible? It was God. He knows that when God begins something, he stays with it till the end. God wouldn't have brought him to that place and then at the very end then the gates don't get built. He knew that God would finish the work just as Jesus tells us in our mission to go and make disciples that he will be with us to the end. He will not leave us. He will stay with us to the end so we can have confidence that he is strengthening us to continue the work. Therefore, don't Never let fear become more powerful than your knowledge of the truth of your salvation. That Jesus is with you now and forever. And there is nothing in this world that can prevail against you when he is with you. Don't let the enemy use fear to prevent you from fulfilling what God's plans for you are. The third method they use is to try and corrupt his character to corrupt him from the inside. And they use an inside man. In verse 10, it says he, and this is, this is somebody that he would have trusted. This was a friend. This was someone he knew. A man of God. That he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. So this came from within the walls. All the other attempts came from outside the walls. This came from within, and this is often true. Sometimes things come from even within our walls, within the church. This was someone that he would have trusted, that normally for all intents and purposes he would have believed. But because he knows with such certainty the truth of what he's called to do, he's not deceived, not even by someone that he would have normally trusted he can still see through even them. The tactic here is to kind of play on his fear, his self-preservation, just like before, but to be this kind of voice of reason, this voice of trust. Hey, I'm here to help you. I'm going to try. They're going to try to kill you. Come, I'll, I'll keep you safe. You can come with me. I'll protect you. And this is all a means of manipulation to corrupt him. But Nehemiah is not fooled because he knows it's sin it's sin for him to enter the temple of God, and God would not send someone to sin, even to save them. God doesn't use sin, not even for our benefit. They are attempting to destroy his reputation, to corrupt him from the inside, to use him to use his own self-interest against him. But in verse 11 and 12, He's, here's his reply, but I said, "Should a man like me run away, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go." in verse twelve, I realized he saw, he knew, he perceived, I realized that God had not sent him. It was not from God. There are going to be there are many false truths going around even within churches, spoken by people that should know better. That should know better than to spread false truth. And these truths often appear to be something that's for our benefit. They seem to be something that's trying to take us under our wing and try to protect us and maybe even be something that's for our benefit. This is why it's so important that we know what God's word says and that we live a life led by the Spirit, that we walk by the Spirit in everything we do because those two will never contradict each other. God's word And being led by the Spirit will never contradict each other, because the Bible is the the word of is the word of God, and it is breathed by the Holy Spirit. He's not going to contradict himself. And so, when we know, when we're led by the Spirit in our lives, and we know God's word, it keeps us so that we can, just as Nehemiah, we can realize quickly, "Mm, "That doesn't fit. That's not the truth." that's going to take me away from the truth of what God is really calling us to do as believers. It's our enemy attempting to divide us, to misdirect us, so that we're no longer focused on the real truth that matters, that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and the one and only way of salvation. The greatest truth of the Bible. But instead, we end up focused on ourselves, Often these false truths are all about making our life better or feeling better about ourselves. And and in itself, it sounds like that's a good thing, just like Nehemiah might have thought, okay, this guy's just trying to protect me. That's a good thing. I should trust him. But the reality is there is nothing greater, there's no greater truth than Jesus Christ, than knowing Jesus Christ and being known by him. Nothing more freeing, nothing more empowering, nothing that will make do any greater good than simply knowing Jesus and being known by him. This is the truth that we believe and preach here in this service and in this church. So we will experience opposition as Christians. Attempts to distract us, to stop us, and to prevent us from doing any great work for God. When God builds something up, the devil does all he can to either tear it down, to slow down production as much as possible, to try to, or to lead us into building something that isn't for God at all. In the face of all kinds of opposition and attempts to distract, Nehemiah stood firm because he knew what was his secret. His secret was his confidence Was not in himself. His confidence was not in his own ability. His confidence was in the Lord. Where is your confidence? Where is your strength? Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Don't be strong in yourself. Be strong in the Lord. Find confidence in him. So that you're not easily led away. Not easily distracted. Not easily misled or misguided down the wrong path. Often I believe we do hear from God. Maybe we even get excited. Oh, I think God might be telling me to do this. Oh, that sounds good, man. I I just want to move forward with it. I'm excited about it. And then things get hard. We We have opposition. We have distraction. And then we think, well, I guess it must not have been God after all. It's too hard now. Nehemiah's confidence was not only in knowing who God is and that his strength was, came from him, but also knowing what he was called to do for God. When he knew what he was meant to do, which was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, it didn't matter what happened along the way. It didn't matter what opposition he faced who it was that was trying to distract him whether it was somebody from outside the wall a natural enemy or somebody even a friend right next to him whoever it was it didn't matter he knew the task he needed to, he needed to that he knew the task that needed to be completed and until that was done nothing was going to stop him nothing was going to stand in his way there's this kind of idea a lot of times going around with, with, in like Christianity, this kind of like open door policy. And I think we have to be careful with that. We want God to open doors for us. But when he does, don't expect that it's only going to be easy from there on out. You might still have opposition. You might still have distraction. You might still have issues that you're going to struggle with. But once you get through that door, you need to know I'm going to push through till the end, no matter what, and nothing is going to stand in my way. I want to complete what God is calling me to do. I want to finish the work. I want to run the race to win, as Paul says. I don't want to just stop and sit at the bench every time my legs start to hurt. I want to keep going strong. I know once I'm through that door, I'm going to keep on going and if you're here today and you're unsure about what specifically you may be called to do there are two things i'll leave you with to keep in mind as i've already mentioned number one i'll say again we are all called to go and make disciples you're called to do that and you should be a light and a salt in this world in every area of your life the way that you live your life you're called to do that don't let anything stop you from doing that and if you can't, if you don't get to that step first, then, and you think, well, you know, I'd love for God to like, you know, send me to another country and, and be like a great preacher or, or do this or you know, be, you know, start an orphanage here. Or, it's like, well, are you being a light in your life now in your classroom around with the, your friends that you're with? <laughs> I mean, start there. Answer that call. Don't let anything stop you from doing that. Whether small distractions, whether it's fears, or even the advice of people that seem trustworthy. Don't let anything stop you from that work. Anything that would pull you away from completing the task, that task in your life is not from God. And number two, be involved in your church. Be involved in your church. If this is, where you, if, if this is a church you call home, we'd love for you to be more involved. If, this, if you have another church you call home, then that's also fine. Be involved in your church though. Be involved in your church because churches have a mission. I can tell you, I shared some of it today. I can go on and on if you want to come and talk with me. We have a mission and a vision that's given to us by God that we're seeking to accomplish here in this service, in this church. And if you don't know exactly what God might be calling you to do in your life right now, I encourage you to stand with us, stand with your local church and what God's called them to do. And let me tell you, this is from my own experience join join in with us join in with with us with what god's doing with what god's doing in your community because as you grow in that god just might be preparing you personally for something else i first came to germany i was a part of a, a church plant and let me tell you i did like mowing the grass and you know i ran a small group and did all the kinds of things but i never ever 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 wanted to preach i was terrified of public speaking and I never thought that God would lead me to this place right now. But through that experience, God prepared me in ways that I never could have possibly known. So be involved. Be as involved as you can in your local church. And let God use that to shape you and train you for something that he might have for you later. That you'll never, if you don't, something else I can tell you from my life experience. away from my notes here. If you don't learn the lesson God's trying to teach you now, when you go to the next place in your life, you're just going to have to learn it again. Because God wants us to get to certain places before he can give us more. So learn the lessons all that you can with where you are right now in this season of your life. So that God can prepare you as best he can for what the next season will bring. So in closing, I want to just finish by reading the last verse we read, verse 16 again, as an encouragement for us all and what this can mean for our lives and city when all our enemies heard about this so that the work was finished this was after everything was done all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence they didn't have their self-confidence in against them anymore because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our god we cannot accomplish anything great without god's help when he is our strength and our source The more time that you spend with him in prayer and reading his word, the deeper you'll go in that relationship with him. Seek him first so that you have a source of strength. And as that relationship deepens and thrives and becomes something living in your life, God will begin to use you more mightily than you could ever imagine now. And I can tell you from my own experience, that is truth. Because it's not the work done by your strength, by your abilities alone, but by the strength that comes to us through knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as the Holy Spirit empowers us with the gifts given to us by God our Father. Let's pray. I'll invite the band to come up as I do. Father, we thank you for everything that you've given us. That you put things in our hearts. You put troubles on our spirit. Things that we see in the world that we think, I want to be a part of seeing that become something better. I want to see people coming to a knowledge of the truth. I want people to have joy through knowing you that I've received. I want to spread the light that you've put into my heart. I want to have that strength without fear to be a salt and light in the world. I pray, Father, that each and every one of us would be empowered today, would be strengthened today, and that all of us would have a new sharpness in our vision for not just the greater commission you've put on all of our hearts, but the specific calling we have in our lives and how to live out that great commission in our communities, in our workplaces, in our classrooms, in our families, to be that light that we're called to be. Give us your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you now to stand. We'll close with some worship together.